Welcome to the Spin Tune Sports Show. I'm your host, Albie Olsey. This week, my co-host, Shafe, is still off, but we will be joined by Spin Tune contributor, Gary. We're here to shoot the shit and talk some sports, but first, I have to tell you that we're brought to you by Loved Ones. We'll replace your disappeared family members with creepily accurate latex replicas for a healthy premium. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, <laughs> oh man. I just caught up on it, too, before we, we started doing this here. <laughs> yeah, uh. I had to look it up, too. I couldn't remember the name of the company. I knew immediately that's what I wanted to do, and I had to look it up. And weirdly, I like just searching company that makes creepy rubber bodies on the leftovers didn't yield search results immediately. Hmm. It just gave me, like, the, the fact that that was a storyline. And I was like, yeah, but give me the company. Come on. Give me the details. I don't know. You know, it's 2019. That doesn't seem like the hardest thing to do if you go to a certain store uh, that has certain items that maybe you walk out and it's like a little plastic black bag that you can't see inside of. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, But they certainly came from somewhere. (laughs) Well, anyway, um, for those of you who've been wondering where we are for the past few weeks, uh, Shafe is still lost on the high seas of adulthood. Um, And I have also been busy, and it was just too much for me to carry the show on my own in the middle of that. But we're back. Hopefully we will not have any more interrupted service for a while. Gary has been kind enough to join us, um, because I definitely think this show works better as a conversation instead of me just talking into a microphone. Um, I love you, Al. You're not (laughs) cowherd, okay? Nobody's cowherd. Only cowherd is cowherd. Yeah, well, well, the, the thing is, at least he, you know, occasionally has a producer who, like, chats with him or whatever like the the one who i always think of the most is francesa and drives me nuts like he's just like speaking into the into the void and i it drives me nuts hearing those sorts of shows yeah i don't understand it i mean you know i've never listened to francesa exactly and maybe i didn't see him in his prime but no but the problem um, is when he was in his prime he was working with mad dog so it was a conversation i mean they were yelling at each other often but like it was a two-way street (laughs) uh say it to me say it to anybody al (laughs) well if for those of you who don't get the reference to my fake company of the week um we're gonna talk about the leftovers um a little general thoughts and season one um and then we're gonna talk about a little summer league basketball we're gonna talk i'm getting the itch for the nfl i know gary's a big nfl fan although he's a packers fan days baby (laughs) 50 days he's a packers fan which is fine um but not a New York-based team, and that's okay. But we're going to start doing something that I was interested in as we're getting closer to football season. We're going to go either with him or my brother, if he can get him on the show, or i got a couple other people lined up and Shafe can get back. We're going to do episode by episode. We're going to do a top five. Uh, how we see players at each position in 2019. Today we're going to be doing defensive line uh, oh, more specifically. Yeah. Uh, it was I let Gary choose, and that was the position he chose. This is the first of the series. It's not even like there was any... Like, it's like, oh, we already did quarterbacks. No, like, this was his choice. You're going to hear my dogs. Um, you guys are going to hear my dogs because they're fighting. Or they're about to be. You know, we're two beefy guys. We put our hands in the dirt in high school. Um, yeah, I think we both we know a little bit about getting down in the three and four point stance. So I just <laughs> thought it'd be a pretty good start for us. End of the season. You know, there's other sexy positions. There's wide receiver. There's quarterback. Eh, maybe somebody else could do that, but just to get it started, I thought D-lineman was the way to go. 
I appreciate that. I mean, you know, it would have been even weirder if you picked like offensive line. There, there's still some uh, some sexy names in this group. Well, I um, want some I want some people to listen this week out. <laughs> and then after that, we're gonna wrap it up with a bunch of Yankees talk, especially uh, how they're coming out of the All Star break, what they're planning to do on the trade deadline. That's one of my dogs running. Um, probably hear the jingling. Um, Gary is Gary. We got Gary on the phone here. Um, so hopefully his audio still continues to sound good. It sounds so good so far uh, from my perspective. Yeah, so I have a cat. Uh, I fed her. I think she's hiding somewhere. Shouldn't be a problem. That's good. I'm going to catch a rogue meow. Um, <laughs> so anyway, let's get into the leftovers. Now, we'll start off very briefly, uh, non-spoilers probably, and then we're going to get into spoilers heavily. If you guys don't like it, we'll have the notations up for the episode. You can totally skip the leftovers if you want and get into whatever topic that is interesting to you. Uh, we're just going to have some yeah. fun with it here, though. So this is a new segment for your show, uh, from what I understand, maybe looking at some older kind of prestige shows, HBO shows, everybody's over the Game of Thrones and stuff like that. Um, I just want to, I just want to mix it up, you know. <laughs> no, no, I understand. Uh, I love the leftovers. I, I mean, I would talk to anybody about the leftovers anytime they want to. Well, I, I, I figured it was the perfect topic because you were the one who told me to watch it, and I started watching it, and I enjoyed it. So I figured, hey, Gary's coming on. Let's talk about something he's into. Yes, yes. No, it's not an easy hang. It's not a great world to go into, per se. Uh, but it's just a great story about humanity. And, um, you know, some of the mistakes we make on our own uh, and how we deal with circumstances in life, you know, the stuff that's that's dealt to us by God or whatever force, uh, but also the mistakes that we make ourselves. Yeah, um, and I, what I said was, that, you know, I, I mentioned on Flicks and a Six pretty recently. Um, by the time people are hearing this, I guess it was this past week's episode? Probably. Um, and what I found interesting about it was, you know, is, oh, these people disappeared. And that's not a spoiler, guys. It's the first scene of the show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it was in, it was prominent in all of the uh, trailers for the first season of the show coming out. So a bunch of people disappear, millions upon millions around the world. And it's not really about that. It's about... How do you pick up the pieces and move on and live in a world in which did the world end? Is the world in the process of ending? Like, is this like a this is the end situation where like a bunch of people disappear at the beginning and then they periodically maybe earn or don't earn the ability to leave, you know? And um, it's what do you uh, what do you do? How do you deal with that level of existential dread of what is the point of going on? Is there a point of going on? That's very true, Al. You know, I mean, and everybody deals with lost loved ones. Um, but most of the time, or in most cases, there is some reasoning. There is some proof, you know, if somebody gets sick, you get to see them in the hospital, and then eventually you have an actual funeral. Um, but this is the lack of any of that, the lack of closure, the lack of reasoning, the lack of understanding, you know, what exactly happened. And then on top of all that, uh, how this fits into the bigger Marvel Cinematic Universe. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yep, the snapping, baby. <laughs> um, thankfully, slightly less uh, people by the order of billions, um, less disappeared in this case. I think it was, was it, 150 million or something like that? Yeah, yeah, it's somewhere up there. It was, I think they said 2% of the world population. It was, I want to say it was 100-something million. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, 
I do think the snapping. <laughs> I love all the different uh, the names of the you know the sudden departure, the you know who's calling it the rapture or whatever. And you guys, you guys did Spider Man last week, right? So you talked yeah. about the blip. Yep, yep. I don't know. I don't really like. Why didn't you just? I don't know. I guess everybody didn't know that it was called a snap or whatever. Um, so you just would make up a word, and that makes sense. But you know, it's just. I don't know. I think blip's a dumb word in general, but anyway. It does, I mean, I guess it did fit the tone of that movie, though, where it's like it was largely driven by like high school kids talking about it. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, anyway, getting back to The Leftovers, which um, <laughs> I, I did think that that was an interesting theme that they continued to like re-attack like, like over the course of it was the people who were just like, listen, I'm good with it. Like I can move on with my life if you just tell me, hey, they're dead, but just the it's just the lack of closure, like you mentioned, like that. It's weird how you would think, oh, like there's so many different things that are, but no, like just just being able to say, hey, they're definitely coming back, or hey, they're definitely not coming back. It's the whole betwixt and between situation that would drive you the most nuts. It seems like, and I can totally understand that. Yeah, uh, and that's mostly the motivation for the guilty remnant. Um, you know, the cult-like group that's in the first season, uh, mostly they try to remind the people of what happened. Well, um, well the interesting with them, though, is as much as you said, yeah, like, it's they're so fixated on it. But for them, they seem to have closure. And what that, right, that's their whole MO, is to bring closure to everyone else uh, by hook or by crook. Because um, they distinctly say multiple times, they're not coming back. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know what the ultimate motivation would be there if that really is their goal. I know a lot of it uh, isn't exactly explained and not everything in the show is spelled out for you. Yeah. And uh, some and of that's... that is good and some of it not so much. OK, I mean, more. So, yeah, you're right. You know, there's <laughs> there's loose ends somewhere. Um, some of it's better than others. Uh, I don't think it's a show. I mean, the show spends so much time you know, going back and connecting everything um, in terms of just a lot of the little things. And it's funny that a lot of the big things are the stuff that's not explained exactly. Um, but much more, you know, because we're staying spoiler free. Oh, we can uh, go into full spoilers but at this point. Okay. All right. Well, let's stay in, in non-spoilers just for anybody who's still listening that hasn't seen season one. Just the characters are so great. I mean, this is just a family that wants to be together but doesn't want to be together. Kevin Garvey, he's the everyman. I mean, I just find him so relatable. Do you? Uh, yeah, because he just he doesn't, you know, uh, he doesn't really care. He doesn't really care. He doesn't want answers on his own. He just wants everything to be better. He just wants everything to be better and go back to where it was. I don't know yeah. if that's true necessarily because didn't he say that in like the first episode? No one wants to feel better. I mean, that might be just projecting about how he feels about. You can't tell me that he doesn't want his family just to be back together. Obviously, from him calling his son uh, many times in the early episodes and then going to see Lori. Yeah, that's true. Um, I do think by the end of the first season, he does want some semblance of that normalcy back. You're right. Um, but I, I, I feel like I distinctly remember the first episode you know, when they're talking about why they're having this, was it the third anniversary, like, mem- remembrance of the, uh, 
the sudden departure, right? And they're, they're talking about, well, uh, oh, yes. everyone just wants to feel better. And he says, no one wants to feel better and storms off. But here's the thing. He doesn't know anything about what that's like because his family isn't broken up because of whatever happens. Um, that's a good point. I found that interesting about the fact that the, our main character was not someone who actually had someone depart, whose family yeah. completely imploded just because of everything, all the external factors, revealing, well, as you find about halfway through the first season, you know, actually revealing all the issues that they had internally within the family, yeah. right? They were ready to explode, and this was the exact um, spark that they needed to do that. All right. Well, good time to switch to spoilers, I guess. So spoilers, guys. Uh <laughs> Uh, let's see. I mean, let's just go down and talk about these episodes individually a little bit, just because I feel like, number one, this is full spoilers for the series, by the way. This isn't just season one. Uh, so full spoilers for all of the leftovers. Oh, you want to tackle the whole thing? No, we can dip in. I, it's just hard to talk about some of the stuff that happens in season one okay, and not true. reflect on what happens, you know, going forward. Uh, like the Matt Jameson episodes, exactly. Like there happens, there's one every season and two boats in the helicopter is probably my favorite one. I mean, it's just a great hour of television from start to finish. You feel every bit of ounce of this guy's pain. That, that um, was the one that was his episode from the first season. Yes. That's his. In, I, I want to say it's number three. Yeah. It was something like that. Three or four. Yeah. Um, and it's basically the weird wish fulfillment where he needs money for his church, um, sees two doves in a casino, and bets on that blackjack table. Or, or no, it's roulette. <laughs> roulette, it's roulette, roulette, yeah. <laughs> roulette table because he sees the two birds there. Um, Man, the amount of especially like because it is early in the run, like the amount of like tangible like. Oh my god, there's no way he like actually wins it or like like he's just going to lose everything because at that point everyone seems to have lost everything to some degree or other. Yeah, I mean he doubles down like three or four times. It's so gripping. It's he attracts so... the, the interest of everyone who's in the casino at that random wasn't he was he there he was there at like 3 p.m. or something like that, wasn't he? Um I don't remember because it's nighttime when he gets out of the car or yeah. gets out of the casino. So I don't think it's the middle of the afternoon. I, I, I feel like I remember it being like a weird time or maybe it was just that it was like I a think Tuesday or something like that. Probably maybe it's like an upstate New York casino or something like that because he has to drive all the way back. And then it's morning when he gets hit by the brick. Yeah. yeah and yeah, gets yeah, hospitalized. Sure. I just remember there being something odd about like the so day it, and or time he was there. And like yeah. it seemed like it was kind of empty and like it's just like him, the guy running the roulette table, and like the pit boss, and like he's just like, Yeah, I guess let him run it. And like <laughs> like he's trying to find a reason to throw him out of the casino, like how are you cheating? But then it's also like it's roulette. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> magnets. It's always magnets. Um, what about a magnet? <laughs> uh so yeah i mean i love two boats in a helicopter i mean because i haven't asked your overall we haven't talked about the leftovers at all since you've watched it you know person to person how do you feel about the matt jameson episodes because i just feel like they're amazing <laughs> they're some of the best hours of television in I'll be a honest. series i'll be honest i it, this one drove me a little bit nuts because i was still trying to get my like my sense of like awareness is like what the hell is this show all about 
Um, because yeah. they throw you a lot of stuff early on, and then they just kind of let it sit for a while. Sometimes in a, a very annoying fashion. It's actually something I mentioned on Flicks and the Six a couple of times as I was watching it. Was there's there's a roughness to some of the plotting in the first season where it they don't tease something and then like leave you a trail of breadcrumbs to find where they're going to eventually give it to you. They tease something and purposely say like do like. Eh, you're not ready for this. Like they do it like in like an annoying fashion and then they'll leave it alone completely. Won't hint at it. Won't even imply that it's a thing for like three or four episodes. And then they finally pay it off. And it's like, guys, come on. But, uh, (laughs) I was good with the Matt Jameson episodes in retrospect or kind of once I got, I mean, there's no room at the end in the second one where he tries to get back into Jarden. Like that's just amazing television. No, I was totally on board with it at that point, but in the first season, it really drove me nuts through the first like half of the episode really until he gets out of the casino with the money. That's when I finally got on board with the episode, which is easily halfway through it. Like, no, that's true. Um, also at that point I didn't realize it was going to be only a Matt episode. I just figured it was like, Oh, this is just going to be Matt getting the, the spotlight and then we'll kind of check in with everyone. No, no, no. This is Matt start to finish. Yeah, no, that's the thing is you really have to be like down for the ride and ready to just be able to go on the journey and be like, oh, you know, we're going to see what happens. And the payoff is there. It's amazing. You know, when he wakes up and he tries to get into the bank and they're not letting him into the bank because he's been asleep for, what, three or four days. I forget how many days he misses it by. (laughs) Something like three days. Yeah. And you have to know that there's a couple of times like they did that in that episode, right? Because it was like. Oh, there's no way he's going to win this money. And then, like, you're, oh, shit, he's going to win this money. And then he's walking out with it. I was like, okay, now I know what's going on. There's no way he's leaving with this money. And he gets robbed. And then he kills that guy and takes the money back. It's like, huh, yeah, he okay. really beats the piss out of him. Yeah, and, and, you know, rightfully so. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then, yeah, he leaves with the money and he's, okay, you know, shit. And then you're like, well, what's going to go wrong next? He's like, oh, he's not going to help those people. Oh, he's going to help them and get bricked in the head. Fantastic. No, you know, he's going to do that thing where he shows up at the 11th hour and, like, they're going to act like they're not going to... Oh, look, look he, he got in just after the bank closes. Are they, are they going to let him do it? And that's when they hit you with the actual gut punch. It's been three days. <laughs> yeah. No, great hour. And then another episode that does the exact same thing in terms of, like, expectations is... Uh, I want to say episode eight, uh, the Garveys at their at their finest, or is it episode nine? I forget which one, but the one where they go back and it's like the day of the departure. Oh, was it that late in the season? Yeah. yeah. Maybe it was, it's, yeah. It's either eight or nine because they leave Patty's death as a cliffhanger. And then they go into yeah, the Garvey story, pretty much. Oh, they, did, uh, the they did a couple of those things. Those actually drove me a little bit nuts. I kind of respect it after having it all been done. Like, again, guys, we're doing spoilers for the whole show here. Um, second season, when Kevin dies. Yes. And then they do a whole episode, and you only find out he's alive in the last, like, 30 seconds. That's <laughs> so good. Oh, man. I wish I could have been there for International Assassin. Uh wow. That's probably my favorite episode in the series. Well, those those are I mean, we'll have to get to the next time you come on because starting in the second season, those are my favorite episodes by far. Yeah. Um and you and I were chatting about that on on Twitter the other day 
Um, and I sent you the scene from the third season, the, the most powerful man in the world and his identical twin brother. Yes. By far, the, in my opinion, by far the best episode of the whole run of the show. And also best episode of, of best title of an episode in any TV show. Yeah, uh, I like I like International Assassin a little bit more, but I could get why, you know, you would pick that one. That scene, and if my cousin's listening to this while he's doing any editing on the show, uh, I showed him just that scene that I sent you the gift from where Kevin is trying to get into the bunker. <laughs> and he's there with the um, he's there with the security guard who was the Australian Kevin who they accidentally drowned. <laughs> and and who's who's his like secret service guy and he's yes. you know he's like okay you know use your uh the retina display and it's like I'm kind of fighting you okay fine uh okay now uh, use the other indicator for uh, <laughs> the, the the penis identification in his australian accent which i can't do and he goes uh what your penis sir <laughs> <laughs> uh. and, and one of the low-key best like lines in the whole show and he goes he's like what are you talking about and he goes well, anyone can uh, do plastic reconstructive surgery to have a face that looks just like yours. But uh, and he looks down and he goes, who's going to go to those lengths? Yes. <laughs> just the best show ever made by people. And <laughs> well, I, don't know, I don't know about that, but I did really, really enjoy the show. Oh, man, it's just it's such a ride. I love Nora. Uh, season one, Nora's really interesting. She does get better as the series goes on. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because that surprised me. You told me that when we were when when you first like, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna watch the show. She's your favorite character in the whole show. Yeah, I mean, she's so gripping. She goes through so much. She's such a fighter. I mean, she's lost everything, and she's just so human. She can delude herself in a way that she thinks is for the better. By just finding a baby and being like, this is mine now because I found it and I have nothing. Mm. And, um, you know, I mean, that just that hits me so hard for some reason. And I love Kevin and Nora, uh, both individually. But if I had to pick, I mean, yeah, she's she's great. I mean, even the reveal with the gun at the at the the cafe and then, you know, when she wants the. <laughs> prostitute to shoot her in her own house just that to feel really something. I, I was definitely because that was the first nora centric episode because they would do the matt episode then they would do a nora episode um and i was always more intrigued at least going into it with the nora episodes because she has the more mystery around her and also seems more central to the actual plot so i was good with that like like yeah tell me about what she's like all about you know what i mean yeah. Uh, and that was one of the great reveals. Like, what the hell is she doing in that whole episode? And then it's, I want you to shoot me in the chest hooker that I called earlier. I'll be today. fine. It's okay. I've done this before. <laughs> I was like, wait, just right what? here. Well, the thing in is, this spot. The thing is, I thought she wanted her to kill her. And then I was like, she's like, I'll be fine. I'm wearing a, a Kevlar vest. I've done this before. I was like, wait, sorry, what now? Yeah, I mean, that whole episode where she goes to the convention or whatever, and I mean, and it's funny because she's looking for a job when the departure happens, and then when the season starts, she has this nice, it's not cushy government job, but like, definitely, you know, it, it must have, it must be in the three figures in this like fictional world or whatever, like this is 
a government-funded program, and she's one of the census people or whatever. It's all the data. You would imagine these are some of the people who get paid more, you know, in this reality, but. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but I, I, I will say it's interesting that you say that she's your favorite character. I mean, I, I like the character well enough. I, I, I will say I think she was my favorite actor slash actress in the show. I think that she was the one who most consistently nailed the performance. I don't know that I would say she's my actual favorite character on the show. I, although I don't know if I if I had one. I, I, really? Because I'm going through that with The Sopranos right now. That's so funny you say that. Well, the difference is in The Leftovers, it's I guess maybe it's kind of like a, it's like almost like an, the uh, what's it called test, like one of those personality tests, like Hey, like you, Rorschach, you mean? Yeah, or? kind of like, or like, you know, like with it, which Harry Potter character are you? Uh, like, okay. like, but this is the most literal representation. Like, I wonder if the character that you love the most is the one who most closely reflects, like, if you, if it's one of those things where either because you're so closely aligned with someone that that would be your favorite character because that you, it strikes a chord with you, your own personal struggles, or if it would be vice versa, where like that would be your least favorite character. Maybe. Um, but, as opposed to you know trying to like just get some things in common or whatever like yeah no I I I wonder if everyone sees a little bit of themselves in whichever of the characters it is if that's that sort of thing works for you whether it pulls you to them or repulses you from the character but it, I don't know that you're supposed to hate any of the characters except for maybe Lori um, yeah yeah Lori uh, Holy Wayne kind of sucks. Well, uh, lesser character, though. I'm thinking more like the core main cast. Um, <laughs> Holy Wayne. <laughs> I have to sucks, be honest. Dude. I have to be honest. In, when, when he popped up in International Assassin, I could not have been more surprised. Oh, my God. When he's in the bathroom or whatever. So I was great. so afraid. He goes, I feel like I, uh, I know you. He goes, oh, yeah, okay, I think we might I have do... run into the bathroom before. <laughs> we might have run into each other in the bathroom. I do have a question about that as someone who's watched four hours of this show today just to catch up for the for the podcast here um because i don't know do you think holy wayne affects anything that happens to kevin when he sees him in in the rest stop bathroom where he's dying because he grants kevin one wish he says if i mean anything you know if i ever had any powers you know i'm going to prove them with you through this dying moment I would say you'll have to actually give me the this bit of information. I can't remember. Does does Kevin explicitly say that he wants to see Tom again? No, you never hear you never hear the wish out loud. I couldn't remember so, because I assumed that, that was what the wish referred to, and he doesn't actually get to see Tom, but Tom comes into his orbit, and that's how they get the the kid. Yeah. No, on the rewatch, I thought it was Lori. I think I always thought it was Lori would come back. Um, I don't know much more than that. It's just like, how much of this do you think affected Kevin in turning into the sort of Messiah character that he winds up being in the show? Um, well, I, w- I will say, I, I think it's curious, um, that even though they keep most of the main cast and they completely eliminate the entire secondary cast, um, 
the uh, the first season is almost like a s- entirely separate show from the second and it third is. season. It is. It's a different show, um, but it all the DNA is still there, mm-hmm. and it's the perfect setup for what happens. Sure. Uh, and it really it's, it ups the stakes every year. So I mean, if you didn't have a first season that was just in this small, you know, New York State town, uh, and then you go into this place that's like literally supposed to be uh jerusalem or whatever you know sort of holy land where nobody disappeared um yeah i mean so it it does up the stakes every year and a lot of it's just not explained in the first season and maybe one i i like i like the daughter stuff i like the daughter with the kids uh hanging out you know it, it really grounds it grounds the show in reality where it's like these teenagers are still like out in the woods partying and stuff and stealing baby Jesus, which is, you know, doesn't really go anywhere per se, but it's fun to watch. Getting, getting trapped in refrigerators. That's weird. Like, how does Kevin's dad show up? How does he know where they are in the middle of the woods? Um, yeah, just, you know, but all of that can be explained because the show gets so much broader and Kevin's Jesus or he's not Jesus. You just Well, the thing, the thing is, like, as we kind of alluded to earlier, there's a few things that they don't explain that I'm largely good with um, and some things that they don't explain that I wish they had, but also they don't matter. You know what I mean? Like something like the whole situation with the dogs. Um, yeah. It's weird that they don't explain that in any way, shape, or form, especially when they, they completely leave it alone for an entire season, which I'm fine with. And then at the beginning of the third season – they pick up with what's his name coming back and going nuts and talking about some government conspiracy with dogs. And then they have, they follow that up with the dog stealing the sandwich from the crime scene. Yeah. Um, and then they completely know, leave it alone after that. <laughs> that's true. I mean, from what I got at the time, cause I've only rewatched season one so far, it was just to be like, you know what? Maybe this guy with the dogs shooting them, he was just crazy the whole time. Sure, or, that's that's fine, but the, it was so weird that they actually paid it off at the it, and it's at the beginning of the season. It's the, towards the end of the first episode, the third season, where he had the sandwich that he said he had the DNA of some politician or something like that, and that it was going to show up with dog DNA, and the dogs were <laughs> trying to come get it. And then at the crime scene, after he gets killed by Tom, the, there's a dog that comes up and he pulls the sandwich out of his pocket and runs away with it. <laughs> Yeah. It's weird that that was the last note we heard of that storyline. <laughs> um, let's see here. Sorry, I just lost you with the Bluetooth for a second. Uh, it's okay. Yeah, I heard some weird sound, but then I heard like you still on the other side of the line, so I thought it was just <laughs> a momentary like. No, that was me. Um, you know, we're not we're not Mark Marin here, people, but we try to be. <laughs> <laughs> I just pooped my pants. Um, let's oh. see here. Uh, what else, what else do you want to get to? I think we did most of it. Um, well, I guess I, how would you, uh, what I would ask big picture. Oh, you know what? One. I do. I've got one more question. Um, do you believe Nora? Do you believe Nora's story? Yes or no? About what? At the end, at the end. Um, oh, that's a good question. I figured we would save that until season three. 
I understand I might not be here for season three based on how you wanted to rotate this. We could save it if you think I'll be here. I mean, you'll be back. It's just a question of what. Uh, all right. Uh, yeah, we'll save it for season three. I'm just really curious. Yeah, um, I am too. Uh, <laughs> uh, what I was going to ask you is where would you rank of the three seasons? Where would you rank season one? It, yeah, it's 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 the it's the worst one, but it's a great oh, show. Okay. Uh, I go I go three two one. Um, I would say it probably has some of the highest highs, but also definitely the lowest of the lows. Yeah, I mean the great episodes are great. Uh, episode like that, seven, that that flashback episode you were talking about, where they show them the day yeah. before it happened, that was a really fucking good episode. It might have some of my favorite individual episodes. Uh, however, three is just all go. Two is really, really good. I don't necessarily agree with what they do with the guilty remnant and the disappearing girls, uh, especially since it's so important to this story, but not really because they just move on. Oh, you mean um, how, how their story ends? Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. Uh, and then just going back, cause I'm a nerd. I was sitting there. I was just thinking about all the Marvel stuff. So we have, oh, and a little bit of star Wars. Cause Justin Thoreau, he's the master code breaker in star oh, yeah, Wars, the right. last, or he's not, <laughs> or it's Benicio del Toro was really the master code breaker the whole time. Who knows? Well, my cousin, Anthony, if you've ever heard us talk about it now, I, I don't actually, I think we talked about it in our last Jedi episode. Um, Anthony is still operating under the assumption that, uh, that uh, Lando is actually the master codebreaker, and oh my Justin God, Thoreau really? was that Justin Thoreau was just a guy who was conveniently there. That's stupid. <laughs> I'm not saying I agree with it, but and I don't even know that he necessarily believes it. I think he just wants to believe it. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think we have to go back to any of that, particularly unless we just get a little bit more Benicio because he. I thought he's great in that movie. Uh, but other than that, so, so we have the Master Code Breaker. We have Chris Eccleston, uh, who's a Doctor Who. He's one of the Who's. Oh, I didn't and actually. I didn't even know that. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I always and think then, of him from 28 Days Later. Uh, he's and the, then he's the also Malekith, the Dark Elf from Thor: The Dark Thor. I was actually gonna go with a deeper cut. He's Destro from the GI Joe movie. Wow, that is great. Wow, <laughs> I think you won. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah, he is. And then after also, that... Oh. Also, also Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Cobra Commander in that movie. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best part of that movie, really. It's <laughs> um, actually a solid twist. And then what else is... Oh, Nora's Proxima Midnight from Avengers. I was thinking of her as... Uh, what's her name from Fargo? Yeah, no, I'm just doing nerd stuff here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Hulk's Hulk's girlfriend, Liv Tyler, everybody who's. Oh wait, so just... I have a, I have another actually. Uh, yeah, that's true. She was uh, she was that she was uh, what's it called? She was in Armageddon. She was uh, yes, Harry Stamper's daughter. Um, but I was gonna say going back to the throw. I didn't realize we were doing this. We were gonna flex the the nerd credits. Justin Thoreau was the dr- the white dreadlocked henchman in the original Zoolander movie. Oh my God, you're right. That's amazing. <laughs> Mm. I so, definitely yeah. don't remember the character's name, but I 100% sure that that's who that is. Oh, and then side note, you know what? The son, if he if they cleaned him up like they did in the flashback episode, and I know it's been several years at this point, but he would have been a good Johnny Storm for Fantastic Four. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe in the 13th iteration that they got coming up. That's true. Fan, they can only go up, I guess. Hey, you know what? It, once Spider-Man was returned to the MCU, they did a pretty good job finally. So maybe they can finally get that one right, too. Only time will tell. Maybe it's too much. Maybe it's not. Um, anyway, I guess that's The Leftovers. Season one, Gary and Al's thoughts. Only about four years too late. <laughs> Uh, and the season critics hated the most. Fantastic. Well, it's the reason that I didn't ever get into it was because I heard so many people complaining about it. I was like, oh, I guess I was right to skip out on that show. Yeah, I mean, I just had access to HBO at the time. And I was like, well, I'm going to give pretty much anything a shot because True Detective kicked ass. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into some Summer League. You said that you have Summer League thoughts, which truly surprised me. Yeah, you know what? It's on late at night. Um you don't always want to watch baseball per, per se all the time. Um, yeah, it's in Vegas. Uh, and it was good to see some of the younger players after the crazy free agency period we just had. Uh, so some of the younger teams like that didn't pick up some of the superstars, say the Pelicans. The Knicks. Uh, the Knicks. <laughs> and Kevin Knox. Kevin Knox was in the house because he's still... 19. <laughs> Did Kevin Knox get his soul stolen by Zion? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, Zion, I don't know. People were saying that he was looking kind of big or whatever, but this is definitely the time of year that you would want him to bulk up. Well, th- um, wasn't that a whole thing? Was that was just holding this week, right, with Charles Barkley saying that, like, saying, "No, I'm fat. He wasn't fat." <laughs> no, yeah, it was definitely more of like a baby fat. Uh, I mean, he's not. <laughs> He's not Shaq, you know. He's still just like a power yeah. forward. Um, Wait, hang on. You, you saw the play that I'm talking about, though, right? Where it was, I think it was the first game of Summer League because it was making a big deal about oh, uh, yeah. Zion versus Barrett. Like, and uh, like Pelicans next was like the first game. Or it was on the first day. I don't know if it was the actual <laughs> first game I played. And wasn't it like early in the game? Like, there was like Knox came down with a rebound and Zion just yanked it out of his hands? Something like that. Definitely something like that. Uh, don't remember a hundred percent. Can't be getting uh, but, bodied by a rookie, man. You know, it's eleven thirty on the East Coast when these games are on. I'm just glad <laughs> something's on. I saw the earthquake game; that was crazy. Like everything oh, nice. just stopped for a while. Wasn't that also a Nick game? Uh, <laughs> I think so. I think that was the maybe that no. Was that, was that a fr- the Knicks Pelicans game? Was that the same game? I don't. I just know that it was, it was a Friday or Saturday night, wasn't it? And I, I think I remember seeing like, oh, Knicks game delayed for earthquake, and I was like, wait, yes. what? And then it was like, oh yeah, major earthquake in California, and I was like, oh shit. Yeah, the speakers were swaying. I guess they had two in one day, uh, at least in California. Not sure about Nevada, but yeah, because well, where where it was it was like kind of like the middle of nowhere, like the desert area of California. And so I think that yeah, like the like the earthquake and the aftershocks both hit in like Southern California and in like Las Vegas, for sure. Um, and then it's just great to see you know the players interacting, <laughs> like on Twitter for a moment. Everybody was talking about Patrick Beverly like eyeing up the Lakers or whatever when they were all there. And uh, oh, and then Beverly was at summer league. No, he was just there in the stands. Like oh, the teammates, okay. they'll show up. Uh, just because, you know, you can be in Vegas for, for, you can have a reason to be in Vegas if you need one. Oh yeah, coach, I'll show up. <laughs> Gotta Wait, support so are, the troops, baby. Are, are you a, a Knicks or Nets fan or are you a fan of someone else? I like watching the Nets 
because it's local, but I have been I have been a Lakers fan since I was a boy. Oh, okay. Uh, big big Kobe guy myself. Um, I have leaned into recent years. You know, maybe m- some of my heroes as a kid weren't as efficient, quote unquote, because I'm a Brett Favre fan as well. Hello. <laughs> uh, as some of the other players that have come to replace them in terms of a LeBron or an Aaron Rodgers, uh, stuff like that. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, both guys were unquestionably, you know, Kobe and, and, and Farb were unquestionably amongst the best, if not the best in the league at the time when they were in their prime. I mean, what Farb won three or four MVPs, like, yeah. Uh, just with the stats nowadays, everybody can break stuff down. And, of course, you know, Farvey turned the ball over. But he was usually more of a two-touchdown-to-one-pick guy. And, you know, if you're a coach, you can live with that. Mike Holmgren, you know, he, he could tell you a bit about Brett Favre, and he'd be pretty positive. Well, and there's also, I mean, there was a sweet spot in the middle of his career where the turnovers were manageable, you know what I mean? And, this is and, amazing. Only we he, could turn summer league talk into Brett Favre. <laughs> into, this is, so into late 90s, early 2000s Brett Favre yes. talk. <laughs> this, this is why people listen to the spin shoot. This is why they hit the subscribe. <laughs> hey, I, I, well, obviously our, our listenership has not been growing on this show because I have been uh, neglecting it. Uh, but Flix of the Six has like, doubled its downloads in the last few weeks. <laughs> That's great. It is. Wow. I'm hoping that this is a rising tide that will lift all boats. Yeah, people, they love the movie podcasts. Uh, pretty much all podcasts are either true crime or movies. And then there's some sports, but most of them are just true crime or movies. Or hoping, movies about true crime. Like I'm hoping the they'll Dahlia. like... Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm hoping that, uh, that they'll like next week's episode of Flicks and a Six, because it's our magnum opus. Okay, wow. That's a big tease there. Yeah, it is. Um, it's um, just just make sure you're you're sitting down when you listen to that one. Um, but getting back to the summer league. Um, so, was there any specific players that caught your attention while you were watching? Yes. Um, well, <laughs> kind I of blanking so. on the name. It was the the Pelicans, uh, the center that they drafted after Zion. I think they traded back for him, and. Let me pull this up here so I sound less dumb. Yeah, I was going to say, I have to quickly, <laughs> like, furiously, like, search this because I have no... Okay, well, here, oh, I Jackson can do... Hayes? T- yes. Uh, I can do... I can do Tyler Hero talk, though. Um, <laughs> wow. You don't want to talk about, ex- about Ignas Brasdikas? Nah, not exactly, no. It's I... tough because Summer League is just... It's really just D-League basketball in a time where there is no basketball. I'm gonna be honest. I kind of want to talk about Bryce Dickus because this is a New York sports show, and yeah, I remember in. when they drafted him. When the Knicks drafted him, I was like, "Wait, I know that name." And I looked him up, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that, that the, the big white guy in Michigan." Uh, I was like, "Yeah, I feel like he's kind of like can do a little bit of everything." And then I watched like I watched part of like one of the games. I watched a cut up of him in another game. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's right. This this guy is gonna end up being." A contributor, maybe for the next, maybe not because they trade everyone eventually. Um, I, I forget who it was. It's been like, I think, was it since Charlie Ward? They haven't re-signed to a second contract, one of their dra- first-round draft picks. Something insane. Like it's been like 25 years since they've drafted someone that they've That's signed to a second contract. Very uh, hard to do, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Um, but yeah, no, I, I actually like that that kid. I mean, he can shoot. He can 
dribble. He can. He's got good vision. Like I, I don't know what sort of defender he'll be um, as like a anything sort of like serious rotation player. But I, I think he can be a rotation player down the line. He's got enough well-rounded game. Um, and if you can shoot and you can hang on, look, Steve Novak was a thing for a while just because he could fucking shoot threes. And this is a good point. Um, he stole the then... Rogers, uh, double ch- discount, double check, uh, <laughs> championship belt celebration. <laughs> wow. Uh... So tell me about Jackson Hayes. I'm sorry. I, I stole the show for a minute there to talk uh, Nick's second round pick. No, that's fine. I mean, I would actually want to talk about their first round pick a little bit more. Well, his last game actually was really legit. He was, he was I think he was 21, 10, and 7 or 8, yeah. something like that. Like, he, he very nearly had a triple-double. That's what everyone was expecting to see. They were a little worried because he shot, like, 7 of 30 in his first two games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's all about just getting a feel because even with Zion and, and some of these guys – the level of competition for D-League is still pretty close to college basketball. It's not that much of a step up uh, That's probably what they're used probably to. They still need to get the reps and to get the feel uh, for what they're doing on an NBA court, more or less. Uh, but it's good to just see him out there. I mean, Zion, he's not clanging and banging with anybody Clanging and banging <laughs> <laughs> with anybody. I thought clanging and banging was a was a weightlifting thing. <laughs> it is, but you know, basketball can be a contact sport, and I think you yeah, get but the you drift. Did, you did the you did the Clyde Frazier <laughs> rhyming thing, but you stole Mike Ryan's weightlifting douchebaggery. <laughs> <laughs> Douche or irredeemable, irredeemable douchebag. You just yeah. <laughs> put it on the pole. Um, <laughs> Uh, all right. So this, this is good. Even though this is our first episode doing this together, your, is it? Is this your first ever podcasting experience? It it actually is. I didn't want to out myself, you know, or whatever. But sorry, right, we're doing I'll, it. I'll we're doing it. <laughs> no, you uh, you sound uh, pretty natural. It sounds like you know the the biggest thing I've noticed is going through it myself when I was first starting, um, and you know dealing with this with Shakes the first few episodes when he was doing it for the first time, um. You just want to come off sounding conversational, and you sound, for better or worse, the way you sound when you're having a conversation. This doesn't actually sound that much different than the times that I've spoken to you face-to-face, which, funny enough, is not really that many times. No, no. A couple parties, mostly just uh, our good friend Firestone talking behind both of our backs, trying to get us to fight each other, which has never happened still. And may never happened in real life. I hope not. I completely <laughs> forgot that that was a thing, actually. <laughs> it's one of my favorite Firestone running jokes, exactly, is when we're both in the same, and he just gets up behind you in the air, and he's just like, hey, he's right over there. That's <laughs> <laughs> great, yeah. Gary is my my best friend from high school's friend from college, and somehow he's become one of our Spin Tune contributors, long-running member of our fantasy football league, which is one of the weirder fantasy football leagues. It's in, man, in I cannot get a hold of this league, man. I just, I, I did good the first year, and I've just never made it back. I've you were so down the dumps. You were trying to, you were trying to quit on me last year. I don't, I'm not, do not approve of this. Yeah, all right. No, I hear you. You want to keep me on? That's fine. You know, well, I can no, do I, it. I mean, I, I like that. Even though you don't succeed, you do try. Unlike a couple of members who are getting booted this season because they've just barely existed. 
Yeah, I don't know if I, I mean, and people love fantasy football talk, especially in mid-July, so we should keep this going as long as possible. Well, we could talk around fantasy football in mid-July, because I was going to say, I was just thinking about it recently when I was thinking about having you on the show before I actually reached out to you to say, hey, specifically, I want you on this week. And I was thinking about the last time I actually, like, talked to you, like, not, like, through text or whatever, Yes. And I was like, oh, it was the it was Alex's wedding, I think. And then I was uh, like, the funny thing about that wedding is we had roughly half of the league there. And I don't know if you – did you talk to any of the other members of the league who were there that you didn't already know? Um, I mean, that's just the most Jack Daniels I've ever drank at one point <laughs> in time in my life. Well, because we had – It was open bar, great wedding, beautiful wedding, love the Firestones. Oh, gosh, it was, it was a hell of a wedding. <laughs> Remember the uh, – do you, <laughs> this is another part of the conversation. People love a wedding they've never been to. But do you remember the buffalo chicken sandwiches uh, after the at the after party or whatever on the way in that really dark room? Oh, uh, my God. I, oh, you know, I barely remember. But that's oh. because it was also a lot of whiskey for me that evening. Um, Absolutely. And not nearly enough food because I spent half of the cocktail hour trying to track down Alex and Devin because they went missing and they accidentally still had one of the microphones from the, uh, no, from the thing. And they were worried that it was going to switch on. And cause they were put in that, like there you get, they, they get their like separate space from everyone for like half an hour before they have to come down and talk to yeah. everyone. Oh, that's and funny. They were like, yeah, we can't find them. We're, they have a microphone and we're, it's still active. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm run, I was like, me and Vicky were running around trying to find them, and finally someone pointed us because they didn't tell us where their secret room was. Yes. And I finally got them. I was like, hey guys, I know I'm not supposed to interrupt, but I'm going to totally interrupt because I'm going to take that microphone before anything gets said in here that shouldn't. <laughs> Got to consummate the wedding sometime. Yeah. No oh. matter when. Oh. <laughs> but uh, getting back to the fantasy league. Um, and yes. The fantasy night of the wedding. Um, so we had you, me. Alex, Alex's dad, Alex's brother, my dad, Shafe, who oh uh, yeah, okay. with us right now, and 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 our other buddy Mike from high school. So that is eight people of a fourteen man league. And my brother was like the last cut for the for the invitations. My brother and sister, we would have had nine of the fourteen members of the team at uh, of the the thing at the uh, the wedding. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I probably was introduced to most of that. I mean, obviously, I already knew. Alex's dad and his brother. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, the rest is just a big blur for me. And, <laughs> I mean, I would think <laughs> we should definitely pay. They still, you know, they still haven't bought their copy of the wedding tape. Are I mean, sure? there's nothing I would want more than to see everybody dancing to shout. I'm pretty sure that I featured fairly heavily into the <sighs> to the video at one point because I remember being very drunk and dancing, and one of our friends from high school decided to take a running leap and he like tried to jump onto my back and missed. <laughs> and instead I caught him in like a fireman's carry. Oh, wow. And I have my hand up, like holding one of his legs on the one side and my drink in my other hand. And I just continued dancing with him on my, like slung across my shoulders. That's and then I saw a very bright light and I turned and looked at it and it was the camera from the wedding video right in my face. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think this would be too expensive. I don't know how much just one copy of a wedding video is, but I would totally contribute to that. <laughs> uh, I went into full, like, John Belushi mode where my body was possessed. I was doing the high knees, very high knees dancing. 
uh, I've seen Animal House too many times kind of dancing. Nice. <laughs> Jeffrey Bisfam was giving me a side eye dancing. It's God. the best dancing. <laughs> uh, anyway, so let's let's keep so, it going with the football. Well, um, no, first we got to get to Jackson Hayes, though, right? You know, you keep wanting to go back to this. Is there something? <laughs> um, That's fine. We'll get to that along next week along with Springfield's favorite color. <laughs> uh, um, let's get to some football stuff. So I am itching for fucking football action right now. Um, you are itching for football action right now. As I said earlier, you are a Packers fan. Um, oh, yeah. I am I am a Jets fan, so this way, if anyone has any complaints, you know our biases right off the bat. Um, <laughs> There's so, none of them on my list. I don't know about you, but who Jets or Jets or Jets Packers? Jets or Packers? No Jets or Packers. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I do have a Packer as an honorable mention, but we'll get to that uh, after. Our okay, top five. I have an honorable mention as well. So uh, I'll get to that after the top five. So how do we want to do this? We want to do. One to five? Do we want to go five to one? Do we want to start with one and then go back to I five? I would go five to, to one. I just, I just assume, <laughs> I just assume we still have the same number one. Well, that's why so I made no the joke about going there. with one and then five. Yeah, so let's just start with five. Okay. All right. You can go first. So my number Wait, five. Wait, hang on a second. Hang on. Before we get into it, what I want to say about this is, at least from my perspective, what I was going for is this is how I view who I think are going to be the top five players in 2019. This isn't the guys who have had okay. the the track record leading up to now, this isn't the best guy in 2018. This is who I think will be in the top five in 2019 season. Um, and I try to, I think we'll probably both have some guys who are kind of on the fence, uh, especially per our conversation last night. Um, okay. You know, you, it sounds like you have maybe some four, three defensive ends. I tried to keep it to yeah, guys you know who are what mostly, I did mostly inferior. Um, I went to, I went to NFL.com and I just sorted by defensive linemen. So anyone, and I excluded, the only one I didn't include was Chandler Jones. See, I guess he's, he's, in, in my mind, he's an edge. Like there's no okay. question. I um, thought he so was a that, bit borderline for me. So I didn't include him. Well, I have someone who I thought was considered a in more interior player who, like, I know he plays on the edge occasionally, but I don't consider him an edge rusher, but he's listed online as an edge player so we'll i mean maybe we'll have some exceptions but the the okay. idea for this was interior defensive lineman top five for the year yeah. 2019 give me your number five uh so i did mine a little bit a little bit different than you i did reward you know i mean i'll always give because defensive line is is also a bit about experience as well obviously like most positions so i don't know well i mean gonna, these guys are going to be i mean for my list they're all of them are veteran players in the sense that like I don't think any of them – one player is still on his rookie deal. The rest yeah. of them all have had yeah. a second contract. But the point is, like, I remember a couple of years ago, like literally two years ago, I remember seeing a big debate between Giants fans and Eagles fans where people were saying Carson Wentz is better than Eli Manning, and Giants fans getting pissed, like, oh, my God, Eli Manning has two championships, this and that. It's like it's not about the body of work. It's right now, today, yeah. Carson Wentz is a better quarterback than Eli Manning okay. is today. But, yes, Eli obviously has had the much more – established career at this point so that's what i'm saying is i think these guys will be the top five impact players at their position this season hello that's true. so the, my number be there yeah sorry i lost you for a second there okay so my number five cleveland brown i still hang on him. You're, you're cutting out on me you okay. said, I heard Cleveland Browns, and that was it. 
Miles <laughs> Garrett. Miles. So no, but he's an edge rusher, man. Yeah. Okay, fine. Supplements. <laughs> yeah. Jones. Oh, but he's gonna, no, just just go with your list, and we're not going to worry about that stuff. So you go with Miles <laughs> Garrett, okay? I know you folks were on into fine Miles, and I want to see a little more from him. Uh, I think that Browns front front seven is definitely more talented than their secondary, so they do make some more plays. Uh, he's only 23 years old still. Yeah, it is wild. So, how young he is. Uh, 13 and a half sacks last. Year. It's just hard to ignore him to not make any top five list so my number five is miles garrett yeah when we get to the edge rushers on this show i'm guessing he'll probably be in my top five as well yeah. uh, but uh he is not on my list because i tried to mostly pick guys who are more defense defensive tackle oriented so my okay. number five, my number five is akeem hicks uh chicago bears that was gonna be that's my honorable mention so just call that my number five as well for <laughs> miles garrett that's and fine and then you talk about my boy akeem uh, yes. Well, I'm surprised it's your boy because uh, you do not like the no, Bears. No, I understand. I hate <laughs> him, but... <laughs> no, he's he's a really, really fucking good player. I mean, he's a huge fucking dude. Huge yeah. dude. Great team player. Yeah, uh, does yeah, does all the dirty work in the trenches. That guy has ridiculous hands, both like the strength and the technique which, which he uses them. He, I watched a dude swipe dudes in front of him. Um, the, the guy who I always think of, um, at least for one specific play... Um, is uh, do you remember Chris Jenkins? He played with the Panthers yeah, for a long time. I do remember Chris Jenkins. He played, he played for the Jets for a couple of years, and I remember watching him on a play when he was his. He had one really great year with the Jets, and then he started getting dinged. It was towards the end of his career that he was with them anyway. I think it was 2008 or 2009. They were playing the Texans, and he went on this rush, and they showed it in slow motion. He did like a jab step upfield. Got the it was the center of the guard I forget uh, off the Texans offensive line like off balance for a second and then comes back across the green but as he's like I think he he had stepped upfield to the with his right foot and then stepped across with his left and took the one left hand and swiped the dude on the outside shoulder and the guy landed on his ass with yeah. one hand and the guy who in the current NFL who I see is closest to that sort of thing with that sort of hand strength and technique to set up the blocker and then swipe him away or just just heavy hands, push-pull, stuff like that. Akeem Hicks messes dudes up when he gets one-on-one on the interior, which isn't very often because they know he'll do it and they fucking double-team him all the time. Yeah, he's hard to ignore. Uh, he's definitely one of the Bears' playmakers for sure on a younger defense that's still getting things together. That's why he's my number five as well. Yeah, I think he might be the oldest guy on my list. Yeah. It's oh, been around really? for a while. Okay. Then my number four uh, is Calias Campbell, who's definitely older than Akeem Hicks. Oh, 32 okay. years old, 12 seasons, 10 and a half sacks last year. Granted, he is on a very good Jaguars front seven. Front yeah, but four. he was legit with the Cardinals before that. Yeah, absolutely. And he still has it. You know, he's making it happen. 53 total tackles. Uh. And you see the absence with the Cardinals. I mean, that's definitely why they would trade for a guy like Chandler Jones around the time when Campbell's contract did get to get to a kind of a more of an untenable number. Well, they let him uh, walk in free agency, which I never understood. Well, yeah, I just they didn't want to resign him and Chandler Jones at the same time. I mean, maybe too much money on defense. I don't know. This is the same team that let Tyron Matthew go. So. <laughs> Yeah, I still don't understand how Steve Kahn is a GM right now. 
they make a lot of choices, and not all of them are good. <laughs> um, so you could see Goliath Campbell and Chandler Jones as sort of an even trade-off there. Uh, but of well, course, anytime... distinctly different styles of player, but both excellent. Yes, I mean, in a you know, just looking at the numbers sort of way, it fills the same sort of void where you want somebody to get into the backfield. Uh, but Clias Campbell definitely controls the line of scrimmage more than Chandler Jones does. So that's yeah. my number well, he's, four. He's even bigger than Akeem Hicks because he's like, isn't he like 6'8 or something like that? Uh, one of the players I looked up was, I forget which one. I'm pretty sure Campbell, Campbell's like 6'8, like 315 or something like that. He is gigantic. He's enormous. See, I, uh, I actually, I had him on my list at first, and then I saw that, like, everywhere he was listed as an edge player, and I was like, okay, I always thought of him more as, like, a 4-3 under, like, defensive tackle. I know that they mixed with some hybrid fronts in Jacksonville, so he ended, I ended up removing him from my list because I thought I have another exception as well, and I wanted to keep that exception on instead because Campbell, I think, does play on the edge more, um, so... Uh, well, yeah, there's always going to be our interpretation yeah. uh, anyway. So but a word worthy know. from a talent standpoint, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm more good with you having him on this list than having Garrett or Jones, because he definitely plays on the interior more than those players do. Oh, uh, no. All right, fine. What's your number four? Uh, I'm going with Fletcher Cox uh, from okay. the Eagles. Uh, that dude is a freaking problem. If it wasn't for Aaron Donald, this would be the guy who you would think of as, I think, the archetype for the 4-3 penetrating defensive tackle who's yeah. just causing ridiculous disruption. I know he doesn't have the sack numbers that Donald does. Donald is, spoiler alert, guys, he's number one on my list. Um, <laughs> but Fletcher Cox is really, really effing good. And I remember when he was drafted, he was drafted really highly out of Mississippi State, I think it was, um, by the Eagles several years ago. And the first couple of years, I feel like you didn't hear much about him, but it was because he wasn't putting up huge sack numbers. But the more time you spend watching that guy – you realize that kind of in the same mold as Hicks, like he just takes on so many blockers, uh, but they ask him to do things a little differently. They let him get upfield a little bit more, I think, than Hicks does, and that's why he gets a little bit more pass rush. But that guy is quick, and he's big, and is like slippery. And I remember hearing a lot of uh, comparisons, and I and I totally get it with um, Quinton Williams this year coming into the draft. Very similar styles of player. Yeah, he's a disruptive guy. I mean, he definitely had more uh, a better 2017 as the Eagles as a whole did, of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, that defense was so deep and, and so stacked at every level of the defense in 2017. He can still control line of scrimmage. I hope he does kind of have a more of a bounce back year in 2019 in terms of counting stats and stuff like that. But yeah, not a guy I want to line up against at all. No, no, like, that guy's terrifying. All right, go with you, number three. Number three. And he's, you know, not really one of my guys. I'm not a huge fan, but I got to go J.J. Watt. 16 sacks here, bounce back here, 47 total tackles. He is getting there in age. Uh, luckily, they did. I mean, Mario Williams, he's back there, right? Or is he not back there? No, he's not been in Houston for a while. Remember, Oh, he, this is a good point. Remember he left oh, and he no. went to Buffalo? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, wow. What a... What a lapse in, in memory there. But well, anyway. they, re- they replaced him. They replaced oh, him with Clowney. Kind of, That's who I meant. I uh, meant Clowney. They, they drafted they were, Clowney. <laughs> they, said they replaced him with a kind of a similar player. Clowney is kind of similar to Mario Williams. <clears throat> so Clowney's there now uh, to take some of the pressure off of J.J. Watt in terms of blocking. And definitely made it pay off last year. I uh, really can't argue with 16 sacks. That's why he made the list. 
He's obviously been a bigger playmaker in years past, but should still have a decent 2019. Uh, it was good to see him bounce back. You hate to see guys like him, you know, lost two seasons to injuries, you know what I mean? Like, um, but he had a, a great year this past year. And coincidentally, he's also my number three uh, on this list. Uh, I also go with J.J. Watt here. Uh, like I said, I always viewed him as an interior player, but I saw him listed online as, a, as an edge player. And I was like, yeah, like he does line up on the edge occasionally, but he lines up everywhere from one end to the other. And most of that time is spent somewhere between the inside of the tackle and even over center sometimes. Okay. See, that was my main distinction, I guess, was that I did count edge rushers as long as I didn't really count them as outside linebackers. Okay, yeah, uh, I, I typically group rush ends even with the 4-3 alongside 3-4 okay. outside rushing linebackers. <laughs> so that brings us to my number two, Chris Jones. He's only 25 years old. He's got three years here. I, I'm just giving him the edge over Garrett because he's got a bit more experience 15 and a half sacks last year. Also, he had an interception. He's just a freak. He's kind of more where J.J. Watt was a few years ago before the injuries, where he's a, one of the few players you have to plan around when you're going to play the Chiefs. You just have to deal with him. I know everybody likes to rag on the Chiefs defense, this and that, and why is Darrell Revis over here? What's he doing? But... <laughs> I forgot about the Revis experiment. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Um, but yeah, I mean, he's definitely still a reason why Pat Mahomes can put up 48 on you and they're going to win the game, even though you put up 47. Yeah, um, it sounds like our top threes are the same because I also have Chris Jones here. That guy, I mean, I remember him like coming out of, he went to Auburn, I think. Um, I remember him coming out of school and it was like, oh, really good player. Like, whoever, I, I thought he was just going to be like a run stuffing dude. No, nah, this dude gets after it in the passing game as well. Um he is just a bowling ball, man. Like, he just bounces around. Like, you're not stopping him. You can only hope to slow him down. To get 15 sacks from, like, almost entirely the interior. Because him and Donald are similar in that they're going to line up along the interior a lot. But Donald actually lined up on the edge a decent bit. Um, I don't think you're lining up Chris Jones on the actual edge very often. But he yes. is just an absolute terror in the middle. And surprisingly excellent athlete. Like, you mentioned the the interception. Did he, did he return that for a touchdown? I believe I believe he did. He did. He had a heck of a return on that one. Uh, he, I wrote he is, down that he got the pick, but I didn't necessarily look for the touchdown. But he is thick, but he's an athlete, man. He can move. Yeah, I mean the Chiefs—they really lucked out. They they needed more defensive players, especially with like some of the sad stuff that you know went on with Eric Berry. Um, and I want to say some of the other injuries that they've had at linebacker with Houston before they just didn't, or they traded him or they didn't resign him. I well, they, they, yeah, they let him walk in free agency this past year. Um, that was the thing is you were mentioning their defense being bad. And that was predominantly a secondary issue. There was some linebacker issues as well, but they actually got good pass rush between Jones, D Ford and Houston when he was fully healthy. Like they had a good pass rush, but they could not hold up on the back end. This is true. This, this is why Revis is here. Oh, uh, and then we have the same number one Aaron Donald. So we actually have pretty similar lists. If you sub out my Miles Garrett for Akeem Hicks, who was my number six honorable mention. Uh, not much to say about Aaron Donald. I mean, he's an absolute freak. He's part of the reason the Rams made it to the Super Bowl last year. Uh, and part of that young group there that's just holding it down. I mean, this is this is a very young, talented team. 
and he's their defensive kind of face. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, he did line up on the edge some, but predominantly an interior player. To to get 21 sacks as a predominantly interior player is absolutely insane. It really, it's a Warren Sapp number, and that's a different era. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I mean, and he's probably the best comp um, because as like a slightly undersized tackle who's just a penetrating like like three tech type player like predominantly um yeah just a terrifying force his his quickness for a guy that size is completely unfair and it's the reason that he succeeds because the reason he wasn't drafted in like the top three unlike warren Sapp with the co- cocaine allegations for donald it was purely just uh i don't know if a guy who's only six foot six one 285 can make it um yeah he can make it because he's faster than you and he's stronger than you now, the only thing you could say is, I mean, he has the numbers unlike, you know, a lot of people, um, like even like a stray hand sort of number or Lawrence Taylor sort of number in terms of sacks, because he does have those other players with him where the Rams did take a chance on Nadam Kangsu, and they do have a very, very good linebacker core. So it's not do to they? take anything. I would say so. I actually am struggling to like name a linebacker of theirs right now. Um, they don't have Alec Ogletree anymore. He's a giant. Oh, this is a good point. I mean, I would. They still have. Now they do have a good defensive line, like you said, Sue. Um, Michael Brockers is really good. Their their front line is excellent. I would say Corey Littleton, uh, super passable. He's fine. Uh, so I think well, they have Samson Mabukum, right? Like he's fine. Okay. But I I mean and like their secondary was kind of like ebb and flow. Like Keep Talib is old now. Um, what's his name was all over the map. Who's the other corner? Nah, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, it was Talib and um, hmm. You know what? You're right. This is tough. But <laughs> is it uh, Chris? Wasn't it the Broncos? Um, eh, I don't know. I could pull it up if you could. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, okay. Anyway, that's our top fives. Um, you said your honorable mention was Akeem Hicks. I had two. One of them you'll like. Uh, I was Kenny Clark is an honorable. That's mention. a pretty good one. I thought about him. And he's still really young. And I know he was like a he was like a, a fine player the first two years. He was really good from what I was able to see this past year. Oh, it's Marcus Peters from the, yes, uh, from that's the him. Chiefs. I was, that's like, someone, I was like, there's someone who they traded for who was like really up and down, and I couldn't think of who it was. Um, yeah, that dude will get you two picks in the game or he'll give up two bomb touchdowns. Like, uh, I just can't figure it out. Um, but yeah, anyway, getting at Kenny Clark, really good and like an ascending player, very young. And the other guy who was kind of more of a veteran player who was originally on my list but got pushed off of it um, the more I thought about it uh, was Jarrell Casey from the Titans. Okay. He, him I think of as more of he's – you're never going to run to his side. Um, his – impact in the passing game has kind of ebbed and flowed, I feel like. Yeah. He's another guy who's, like, not, like, your prototypical defensive tackle from a build standpoint, but his hands are just ridiculous. <laughs> For sure. All right. Um, let's do some Yankee talk before we get out of here. This is episode is going to run a little longer than I expected, but it's okay. I feel like we had some fun. Oh, we really did. Uh, I'm. It's funny how similar our lists were, yeah. especially since I didn't wind up looking at yours uh, beforehand. 
Yeah, we uh, we did our best to make sure that we kept went into this blind together. I think it's a little bit more fun when you're it's more surprise to each other. For sure. Um, and these are all good players and stuff like that. So the Yanks, huh? Yeah. So uh, let's first start with a kind of like a state of the union thing. How do you feel about them so far this year? There's no reason to be confident or not to be confident about winning the AL East. I was gonna say, um, wow, what do you mean? There's no reason to be confident. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Uh, especially compared to last year. It's a much better team. Still waiting for Giancarlo here. Don't know what's going on with that. That's really tough. That's one of the worst things about being a Yankees fan right now. Um, and one of the best things about being a Marlins fan, if there is one. Um, Don't you weirdly like the Marlins, though? I, I went through a time where I was ready to switch teams just because I was unhappy with all the Yankees' bloated contracts. Uh, but since that time, I've come back. I mean, this is a much more likable team, much younger team, especially guys with Judge, uh, Gary Sanchez, Voight. I mean, it's more homegrown guys, and that's actually fun to root for as opposed to just paying, you know, whoever's available. Uh, but at the same time, Dallas Keuchel was there the whole time. I, we're here. We're at the All-Star break. The trade deadline's here. The Yankees well, we still, have, still got two more weeks till the deadline. Virtually speaking, I mean, Keiko's signed. No, no, I'm, so, I'm just saying yeah, there's still room to make improvements, you know, two, two more weeks to the deadline. Although, yes. they made their first big splash. You see that big trade they made today? Uh, who did they go with? <laughs> um, if you couldn't detect the sarcasm, they traded for Terrence Gore of the oh. Kansas City Royals. <laughs> I don't know how I missed that. Uh, it, it, it's easy to understand how one might miss that because uh, I looked into his numbers. Cause I was like, I saw the trade and I was like, they're talking about that, like, their fifth outfielder who's just really fast. Like, and I looked him up and I was like, yep, that's exactly it. Because this right. year he has like 50 at bats, and that's by far the most he's had in any one no, season that's of his fine. career. Uh, Cameron Mabin, he needs a break every once in a while. That's well, he's been on the, the injured list for a while. There's it, still going to be another week or two at least till he comes off. Yeah, I was still joking about the roster, but <laughs> um, no. But uh, I, well, the other thing is that I mean, that for Gore, I think he's definitely just like super, super depth. Depth. He's the type of guy that you like bring up in September to like just use as a defensive replacement slash pinch runner, and when you like go to like the forty man roster at the end of the year. Um, but realistically, um, I'm with you on this like whole situation. It's been an interesting experience. It's been a fun experience to have. They're up what six games um, on Tampa right now, and They've had like, upwards of 20 players hit the injured list and not only irrelevant like relievers, like there's been a couple of those, but I mean, judge missing substantial time. Sanchez went on briefly. Stanton has played what, like six games. Severino's yeah. pitched zero games. Batances has pitched zero games. Like, you know, and just about every other important starter has hit the injured list at some point or other. Um, Voight, is, Voight went on and Duhar's basically missed the whole season. Yeah, um, I don't know how they do it. I mean, I would say mostly that, most of the year. Uh, Chapman. Chapman is hanging in there. He's got 20-plus saves, and you do need somebody to close the door. So whether or not they would have just more blown losses or blown wins without him, it's you know hard to say. But when you don't lose your closer, I guess that's the best thing you can say about this team right now. It, that just makes how, me how, question. How about going, going on winning streaks in which – Multiple lineups you roll out have included guys like Giovanni Urshela and Tyler Wade and uh, Kendris Morales. Remember that? Remember that was the thing? That's true. 
That's funny. <laughs> Uh yeah, just Kendris Morales's bloated corpse in the outfield. I'm I'm pretty sure there was a Kyle Higashioka in there a little bit. Uh, there was. Uh... So they <laughs> they are they're making some of the moves. I just don't understand where you could just not. It's not Dallas Keuchel for free, but it's Dallas Keuchel the cheapest you can get him without giving up any assets. Well, the thing was they didn't sign him in the offseason because he was given extended a qualifying offer. They didn't want to give up the first round draft pick, so that's why there was a scramble to chase down Keuchel, Kimbrell, and I want to say there was one other player um, right after the draft happened because then you no longer are on the hook for giving up that first round pick. Um, and at that time, the Yankees were beating down Keiko's door, but apparently he took a less, a lesser offer from the Braves because he wanted to go pitch for the Braves. Like, I, I don't know if it was that he grew up a Braves fan or something like that. Like, apparently the Yankees outbid what the Braves offered, and he elected to go that route instead. Just doesn't make any sense. You're the Yankees. Make it happen. I mean, nobody else wants to give this guy $20 I guess so. million. Dollars. I guess so, but you're, you're going to draw a line eventually, right? You're going to double the contract sure, off of Sure, eventually, the but I don't think you'd have to double it. I don't know. I just, it, we're still prodding CeCe Sabathia out there, <laughs> the fifth starter. And it's hey, like, CeCe pitched well the other day. Um, I but understand. no, I, I agree with you. I, I thought that that was going to be a huge need with Severino missing the whole year. CeCe went on the uh, the injured list at one point. Tanaka went on the injured list at one point. Herman missed a substantial amount of time. Wiseaga went down. Hap sucked. Like, you know, uh, Paxson was on the injured list for a while. Like, it's, again, it would have been nice to have that extra starter, right? Yeah. I mean, at least Pineda sucks on the Mariners. That was my one fear was he was going to go to another team and be good this year. But yeah, but, he, you know, he always gets hurt. That did something. not happen. <laughs> Same thing they were considering going after Yavaldi, And last year was his outlier year of, hey, he was healthy all year. And that was the guy that you expected to be good healthy all year and he already got hurt this year with the Red Sox. He's been okay. He's he's been in the bullpen I think for them. I would say the only guy I haven't followed and I guess cuz I haven't heard anything, he must not be doing well, but you got anything on Gio Gonzalez for me or no? Uh I know that he went to the Brewers. Oh, okay, so he's already gone. Oh, okay. Yeah, cuz he opted out of his minor league deal. Like a lot of those veterans, they have like a, a a certain date where they can opt out of the deal if they don't get called up to the majors. Hmm. And we let him go. He went to the Brewers, and I know he had a couple of starts right away. I think he had one against the Mets in which he pitched well. And then after like his like third start with them, I didn't hear anything about him again. So I have no idea what he's done. Those might have been the only two or three starts he had. I have no idea. Yeah, so I don't know. Clearly, it didn't work out. I mean, thank God for Tanaka. Um, he's still super consistent. Uh, and the Yankees, they put up enough runs somehow, some way. I mean, definitely Algeri is he's, he's rocketed into the atmosphere as like the greatest catcher of all time in terms of hitting. Well, it's great to have uh, him back hitting the way he was. And more importantly, to have him playing competent defense behind the plate because what he did last year, both at and behind the plate was a travesty. And I know a lot of it was injury related, but it was yeah. bad. Well, he's definitely turned into like what Cubs fan fans wanted Schwarber to be, which is funny. Like going back to, I think the Yankees wanted to trade for Schwarber a few years ago. Yeah. 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 You're right. Um, yeah. And that, thankfully that didn't pan out. Um, although, I mean, that, that guy, 
that guy can hit. I imagine he'll figure it out eventually. I know he struggled hitting this year, and he's going to struggle everywhere defensively. So yeah. you would think that as time goes on, similar to a guy like Evan Gaddis when he was with the Braves, like you'd expect him to be a guy who would transition more towards being an AL player where he could DH primarily. This is true. And then I guess just to shit on other free agents that we didn't sign just to feel better about ourselves, uh, Paul Goldschmidt, who's been entirely pedestrian. Uh, oh, has he been? It's a shame because I actually liked him overall as a player. Yeah, no, me too. But Although they, they traded for him, didn't they? they? Didn't they trade for him and then give him an extension or something like that? Yeah, it was a sign or trade and sign, sign and trade, whatever. But yeah, he was um, definitely very available. They, they traded for him. So yeah. Uh, but that definitely would have been like another Lance Berkman situation or something like that. Uh, well, no, he's still at a point. And Berkman was totally washed when we got him. Like, like Goldschmidt well, still. Okay, but your expectations going. I mean, you were excited when they first got him, but he just fell off that cliff that players do. Lance Berkman? You weren't excited to get Lance Berkman at the time, or I, w- I would have been excited to get him ten years earlier. Wow, really? Because I, I swear he had one of those good Houston years, like within two two or three years of the Yankees trading for him. Oh, maybe, but he was like 35 when we got him. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, when it goes, <laughs> it goes. Especially uh, in the supposedly post-steroid era. <laughs> that's funny. And then uh, the Marlins, when they stripped that ship, when they went all, all in that one year. Which time? And then... Uh, 2013, the first year I started following when they oh, became, oh, the, year, the year that they loaded up the Miami their, Marlins the, and the they, year that they loaded up with all the free agents and then they created yeah, by the all-star break. All they had was like Carlos Lee and Hanley Ramirez. Yeah. Was that when they added Burley post White Sox? Yeah, that was a free agent. Him, Heath Bell, Heath Bell, and Heath Bell <laughs> Jose Reyes all year. Um, just an amazing team. And there was some, oh, Wee and Chen too, wasn't that, wasn't, wasn't, didn't they have Wee and Chen that year too? Yes, I believe, maybe, maybe not. That might have been the year after, I can't remember. But I know that they, they gave him like a big contract and he was horrendous from day one. But either way, I mean, Yanks are good right now. Sox are bad for some reason. We got to make up for last year. I mean, the playoffs, they're a different story. Well, they're in the driver's seat right now. They're up. I was looking today before the game got postponed. They're up eight in the loss column on the Rays. Yeah, I mean and it's, it's they shaping can, up they can good. Take at least two out of three more of this uh, of the rest of this series. I mean, yeah. I think that Blue Jays series wasn't so great. The most recent one. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, it's still mid July, but state of the Yankees, A plus so far. Really well, before, happy. I was say that's good to hear. I, I'm kind of in a similar place to you. Before we get out of here, let's run through some of these trade targets. Have you been keeping up with some of the guys who are supposedly could be on the market that the Yankees yeah, are taking uh, the time? I would on? say mostly Strowman, uh, who I would like. Okay. Uh, I mean, pretty much any, not Madison Bumgarner. I don't, I don't know why anybody, and I'm just. I'm keeping from swearing for some reason, but I just, he's too old. Let it, let it out, man. Where uh, He's been to the mountaintop. He did it. I mean, why he would just be, that's like Randy Johnson all over again, but not really, but. Well, he's, he's five years younger than Randy Johnson was when we got him, but still, you know, the funny thing was, the funny thing is I looked at, for whatever reason, I was looking at the Randy Johnson thing the other day. It was like, because there was some reference to something about earlier in his career. And I was like, wait a minute. 
he broke into the league earlier than I realized. Like, I remember him being old when the Yankees signed him. This is 15 years ago when we signed him. And so, I like, I, you know, I was like, how old was he? Like, I knew he was over 30. He was already 37 years old, and we gave him a yeah, five contract. He was way up there. I, in my memory, I was like, oh, he must have been like 34 or something like that. You know what I mean? Which still don't do that. But he was already 37 when he signed that contract. No, I mean, I would have guessed higher. I, he was he was different though. I mean, his his wingspan. I mean, the way he could just whip a baseball in there, like nobody's business. He was just built different than most pitchers. He was a freak and really capable into his old age. If anything, it was just maybe the overconfidence. I get it, but there's um, a big difference between 6'11", Randy Johnson, being able to throw 100 miles an hour and pitch 270 innings as a 30-year-old, and 6'11", creaky Randy Johnson, who could only <laughs> throw 93 miles an hour and only throw 180 innings at 37. Like, there is a big difference between those things. Get those cameras out of my face. <laughs> See what happened to that bird? <laughs> um, You're too close, man. It's funny that you don't like the idea of Bumgarner. I'm intrigued by the potential of acquiring Bumgarner, um, obviously pending the cost because he, we, the Yankees are on his no trade list because he's trying to leverage an extension as part of like a sign and trade situation, which I can understand that. I mean, for him, someone like him, like get yours, like you, you know, he's made a ton of money, but you know, still early in career, you don't make much money in baseball. Um, so I can only totally understand why he would do that. And, you know, being, the absolute horse he's been for the Giants and the absolute horse he's been in the playoffs, uh, he's gone above and beyond the call of duty. So I can totally That's understand true. him trying to hold out for every cent. But, um, it, I mean, he's, he pitched well, I think, his last two starts before the break. I don't know how he's pitched since in his first start after the break. But, I mean, you're not worried about what that guy's doing. If he could choose some innings for you in the regular season, fine. You're hoping he could turn it on for four or five graded innings at a time in the playoffs. Uh, if you're getting that guy or anything close to that guy – and for someone like him, you expect, you know, that he's going to turn it up a notch in the playoffs. I'm open to it, depending on what it is that we sure. actually have to give up. I would just like a younger guy with better stuff. I mean, for asset reasons, you know, just going forward, I mean, it's just so Yankees to trade for the 30-something-year-old pitcher that you think will get you over the hump. And then, you know, as long as Tanaka is healthy, and I know that's been an issue in the past— He's your workhorse. So, I don't know. Well, would you want two Tanakas? I just, I don't know. I, I understand Madison Bumgarner has had good playoff games. I just think his best is behind him. So, I would just. That's probably true. I would want a Stroman or just, you know, somebody with who's a little younger, with better stuff, that's that's looking to establish themselves as opposed to just, like, an older, and I don't mean this you know, in the worst way possible, but more of an entitled player that's just like, oh, I'm a Yankee now. I've done it. I've been to the mountaintop. You guys don't worry about anything, you know. Well, I, I will say I, I'm i okay with them ultimately getting a Stroman, again, depending on what they give up for him, because I view that as kind of more of a hold-the-fort move. I don't. Like, he's not moving the needle for me as far as expecting him to take a big – workload like I, I think he's a like a good pitcher but not yeah. great and um you know I, I i don't know what to expect like is he that much better than a than jay happ you know what i mean i think so i think he's a lot better than jay happ 
Uh, I think. I mean, I, I think he's better. But I just don't think it's a ton better. I mean, he's younger, but not that much younger. Isn't he? Like I don't know. I mean, we old? need more of a two or three. We need more of a two or three starter. I would say, behind Tanaka, and I mean, just the problem last year is you're pitching CC Sabathia in an elimination game, and guess what? You're going to lose. So. Well, so how, how about I give you a couple of names and see what, how you feel? <laughs> Who else you got? Because these Who two did... guys are supposedly on the uh, on the the block and. In the case of the first guy, I'm going to mention, supposedly we've even kicked the tires on him. Um, how do you feel about a Matt Boyd? I would like Matt Boyd. Matt Boyd's a very good pitcher. Yeah, it's funny because I am someone who has been guilty of slandering Matt Boyd in the past. Um, he's admittedly a fairly young pitcher, but there was, what, two years ago he had like a pitch like a five ERA for a lot of the season. I was like, man, I was in, that was when me and Alex were playing a lot of uh, FanDuel, like throwing out a lot of like DFS lineups, and I would... I would target him with hitters and I was succeeded in doing so. Um, he has really made a believer out of me in the last 18 months. He starting last year, his walk rate went down. He stopped giving up so many home runs. His strikeout rate went through the roof. His swing miss percentages went through the roof. Um, and his ERA didn't follow immediately. Although I think a lot of that goes down to the Tigers being absolute dog shit around him this year. He has been, <laughs> legit as hell i ended up scooping him on my fantasy yeah, yeah team, me so i've too. been following him a lot more closely that guy can pitch he's young he's still probably ascending he's only 25 or 26 something like that he's under control for another two or three years so the the cost the acquisition cost from a prospect perspective is going to be very high but that's a guy who even going forward next year when you're bringing back severino fully health healthy hopefully you know this guy's going to be your third or fourth pitcher and he's a really good pitcher, you know, when you're considering that you've got a Paxton yeah. and a Tanaka as well. Um, I would go all in to try and get a Matt Boyd. It sounds like you're the same. Yeah. I mean, the only other thing is I'd rather trade for the lesser known guy at the midseason point. If you're a team that's looking to make a major playoff push, uh, as opposed to like the Bobby Abreu's or whatever of the past. And to me, that's more of a Madison Bumgarner sort of move. Yeah. So you, 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 you would be on board with, with pursuing Boyd. I'm on board with Boyd. Uh, how about Trevor Bauer? Yeah, I mean, Trevor Bauer is also an amazing pitcher. These are great. <laughs> yeah, well, supposedly he's on the trade block as well, which I don't understand because I looked at I looked at it when I saw, I was reading, was it only, Buster Olney was saying that, that, that apparently they've, they've been very receptive to hearing calls on Bauer, which is weird because um, <laughs> they're only five games out of the division and currently they're holding the second wild card. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure what exactly my, um, my source is on this, but from what I understand, he's not a great locker room guy or he's kind of just a weird sort of locker room guy. And he's definitely of a different dude. He's definitely stuff dude. like that. So, I mean, you know, I, <laughs> I wouldn't be confused if he was unhappy in Cleveland any more than anybody else. <laughs> uh, so, no, but they, I mean, they yeah. had a really good run of three or four years, though, recently. I mean, they went to a World Series. They lost in extra innings in Game 7 of a World yeah. Series. You know what I mean? Like, they came as close as you can come and not get a championship. This is very true. I mean, the rain delay, baby. <laughs> um, on, um, on top of that, I would say that... Bauer wait, were you, definitely... were you in Chicago at that time? Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I guess sidetrack. I had the choice between actually being in Wrigleyville pretty much going downtown Chicago for it or 
uh, being at my girlfriend's at the time house uh, in the suburbs or whatever. Guess what Gary did? Girlfriend. But the fun the fun thing about that is she did have a very big Irish family who were all Cubs fans, like lifelong Cubs fans. So that was nice to see them like be happy for once. And on top of that, she had a 98 year old grandfather. Uh, so I got to watch a 90 year old man watch the the Cubs win their first wor- World Series in 100 years or whatever. That is actually pretty cool. But so that was pretty you cool. You should have been in Wrigleyville. <laughs> I know we would have broken every. I probably would have gotten free beers thrown at me, like just mayhem. But thrown at me. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, still a pretty. It's it's an okay consolation prize. But- Anyway, getting back getting back to Bauer. Um, yeah, I don't understand what the Indies have done the last few years. It seems like every move they've made since that moment has been the wrong move from like a roster construction perspective. Like, although admittedly you couldn't count on Jose Ramirez completely imploding this year, but um, like they they let they let Cody Allen yeah. walk. The the other reliever that they had who was Shaw Shaw has been bad since then. I think they got rid of him ultimately. They added Brad Hand, who I guess has been good. I know he struggled <laughs> some last year. Another one of those Marlins. Yeah, yeah. He, well, he's the only one who actually turned out to be pretty good, although they didn't get uh, much well, their closer, right? their closer wound up being pretty okay for the Seashick. Seashick actually wound up getting better once eh, he left, too. So. That's true. They, but they didn't get much for Hand, did they? No, they didn't get anything for anybody. Like, there's a reason. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't get for anybody. Bryn Diesel? Uh, Bryn Diesel for Yelich? <laughs> oh, remember uh, Logan Morrison? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, wow. Bauer, but I think though, Bauer could be, he could be a number one. He could be a number one on the Yankees. Yeah, and he's, I think, under control for one more year after this year. I think, I think you'd get him for a year and a half. Yeah. So just to rank him, I would go Bauer number one. Well, he, he's had some playoff experience, although not all of it was good, because in that year, remember that? Remember he had the drone issue leading up to the World Series? Not really. He was, he has like a, he's into like drones, and he was messing oh, no. with the drone, and he he slashed open the finger on his pitching hand. And he got oh, I didn't remember that. I just didn't know who he was at the time. I couldn't remember if that was in the World Series or if it was in the LCS, but yeah, he, huh. he gashed open his hand, and they were showing him like hemorrhaging blood on the mound and they had to pull him after like one and a half innings or one and third innings or something like that. Wow. Um, so but I he's a really with... fucking good pitcher. <laughs> he's just, I, I think he's a, he's, he's like a better version of Jay Cutler. Like, so Jay Cutler, who, if he actually had success, no, cause like, he's like a weird dude with like an abrasive personality, but like really, really smart. Yeah. But like, an actually better player than hmm. than Cutler. He, like has all the physical tools. He just actually put it all together, unlike Cutler. But what if Cutler never left Shanahan? You mean what if, <laughs> you, what if Shanahan never shipped him out? <laughs> oh, you know what? Yeah, I did get that backwards. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, anyway, so I go. Bauer is the one I want the most. Then Boyd. Then Stroman, then Bumgarner last. What did what do you think? I would go Boyd just a hair over Bauer. Okay. But they're almost the same for me. And then I would actually go Bumgarner and then Stroman. Okay. Well, we're gonna see what happens in the next couple weeks, Al. Mm. And then you know that they'll obviously add some reliever at some point because they always add a reliever at some point. Yeah, I mean there's gonna be three or four Yankees trades, I would imagine. Well, this will be the one year where they maybe don't have to add, like, the impact guy. Like, last year it was Britain. 
the year before that, it was that was the year that they got Canely and Robertson, right? And then the year before that was actually when they shipped out all their relievers. But like they always had like an impact arm. But this year, having Chapman and Batances and Adovino and Britton and Green, uh, they don't have to add an impact guy. But I wouldn't be surprised if they added a guy just to soak up some innings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> These. I mean, yeah, the bullpen is just so good. It just the starting pitching is a real problem, and we need Stanton to get back. But feeling pretty good about the second half here. Yeah, me too. Um, before we close this out, I have one question. I'm going to put you on the spot. When are you going to get me something written on the uh, spin tune? It's been a while. This is true. We're going to get back <laughs> to it. Um, no, your balls, man. You, you write when, you, when, when your muse strikes. <laughs> Uh, you know what? You know what I would like to write about, I guess, is Euphoria. I was going to uh, ask if that was the, where we might see it next, because that would be that would make sense to me. We have a couple weeks left here uh, at Zendaya. She's amazing. She's a great actress. It's a she big really ensemble good. show. I liked her in Spider-Man. I've heard she's done really well in the show. Yeah, I, I would say she's my favorite Peter Parker love interest on screen. Just everything about her is so captivating well, and as interesting. We- as we mentioned in this this episode that we did past, this past week uh, on Flicks and the Six uh, in Spider-Man Homecoming, it's the first time that I actually like bought into one of the Spider-Man relationships in one of these movies. Like I actually like buy into the, those two characters being together and their the actors' chemistry together. Like unlike, well, I guess McGuire and, and Kirsten Dunst had a little bit of chemistry occasionally, but I didn't. I never bought those characters together. Um. Yeah, it's just everybody, we look at it in in rose-colored glasses, and to this day, I'm happy with the Tobey Maguire movies, obviously, much more than the Andrew Garfield ones as a whole. Well, especially the first two. The first two were really good. Uh, And then, yeah, I mean, I think Zendaya is great. She definitely brings a lot more to the character than anyone before, where she's just not a damsel in distress, or she's just some pretty thing to be looked at or whatever. She's a real character, so... Yes, that is that was an important distinction. It was something that I mentioned as well when we were talking about the movie. Um, they took kind of a one note, like that harsh, like the nihilist girl who like doesn't care about anything, and made her a real three dimensional character in this past movie. And I, I was a big fan of that. Other than that, uh, you know, it's just kind of a fun sort of teenage uh, sex romp. Oh. I don't know how much of it is like actually accurate to, you know, kids are just popping all sorts of oxy whatever kind of drugs or whatever today, but it it definitely frames what you think could be possible, and it's it's more of a fantastical sort of show, but that's what makes it entertaining. Um, right. And then the the actors are younger, so they're obviously closer to the age of what teenagers are today, anyway. So at least from that point. You know, you're not going back to Tobey Maguire. You're not watching a 38-year-old man act like he's 18. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is weird. Um, all right, yeah. Looking forward to hearing or reading from you about Euphoria. We'll have you back soon. I'm not sure. Sometime in the next few weeks, I'll have you back on the show. Um, and we will pick another position. You do punters next time? or uh... <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, we're not going to do punters on this. Um, <laughs> well, that's all for this week's episode of the Spin Tune Sports Show. You can reach us on all Twitter, right. at Spin Thanks Tune for Sports. having me, Al.
you want to let me finish this first, and then I'm going to say goodbye. No, to you? I just want to cut you off and Thanks, plug man. my Twitter at Gary Argarecki. I was going to put your thing <laughs> in here, jackass. <laughs> you can reach us on Twitter at Spinchoon Sports and at the Spinchoon. You can find me, Gary, and Schaefer as well at Alessandro B1187 at Gary R Gorecki. That's G U R E C K I, and at Schaefer. See you next week. Stay pin spin tuned. <laughs> Hang on a second. <laughs>